Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. And it was interesting to hear Eddie Howe say that it was their best performance under him which is the second time I've heard that in a press conference in, in three days after Ten Hag said the same. You know, the common denominator there is, 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 is Tottenham. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined by Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and Tim Spears. Tim, uh, first of all, welcome, Jack. Welcome, Tim. Tim, if I may start with you, this is all mm. your fault, isn't it? Yep, yeah, I've been hearing that quite a lot, Danny. Oh, yep. no, and I, I, I actually did the, did the, the stats. I won't go into the percentages because people don't believe them anymore. I, you know, I've got 102 MPs who tell me that people don't believe this stuff anymore. But frankly, prior to your arrival, Spurs were playing poorly and getting results. Um, now they're playing poorly and not getting results. What have you got to say for yourself? Yeah, I missed, I missed the Brighton and Everton games, actually. Uh, which obviously were both victories. So there's not much to say in my defence. Also, this goes back to last season because I think Wolves won one in ten to end last season. Um, what a run you're up, on! Well, I, I've, I counted up this morning. So 17 games either side of the season break. Uh, I've only seen four wins. So for two extremely expensively assembled teams, it's um, and one extremely expensively assembled journalist. Yeah, there you go, there you go. It's all my fault. No defence. Okay, right. sorry. Well, I'm glad you didn't try to defend yourself because it wouldn't <laughs> make, it wouldn't have stood up in any court. <laughs> I, I of ra- law. rarely do, Danny. Rarely do. All right. I mean, we, look. The, the the good thing about doing this podcast, as I say, 48 hours after the event, is that it tends to be a little bit less. Uh, reactive, explosive and negative than if we'd done it immediately after the match, which, of course, is another way of doing these things. Jack, I don't know whether, uh, before we get on to the specifics, I don't know whether to be angry or sad about that result, certainly, and some of the performance. Yeah, I definitely feel... I mean, look, they were better than they were against Man United in the middle of the week. They, I thought they played really, pretty well for the mm. first half an hour. Yep. And on balance, I thought it was a fairly even game, I think, overall. Like Conte said afterwards, he thought it should have been a draw, which may be fair enough. But to lose the game was to lose the game like they did was terrible. You know, they, they completely threw it away with those two goals they conceded in the first half. And I know that like, we, we'll, we'll get on to the, the, the details of it later, but to have the game in a position where they were, where they were the, really the dominant team and then to screw it up, and then not to be good enough to get to undo the damage, I think, makes it a much more frustrating and dispiriting game than the Man United game, where they were just rubbish in the conventional sense. Yeah, I, I think that's right as well. A home defeat somehow feels worse. They they did they had seventeen shots at goal, so some of what I was asking for um, was there, Tim. Apart from your, you know, obviously playing a major part in it. Um, where where would you where would you rate it among the games you've seen Spurs play so far? I mean, the start, as Jack said, was yeah, was really good. I was really impressed with how they reacted after that Man United performance. The two things that really disappointed me: one, the reaction to the first goal, where they they obviously lost their heads. I mean, every, I think every single player surrounded the referee 
including Hugo Lloris, you know, arguing with that decision for quite a while. And then mm-hmm. there was the VR look at it. That was obviously still in their heads um, because they, they were just sleepwalking through the next few minutes. And you could see that second goal coming all of their own making, which, you know, again, suggests a mental fragility, which, which Conte was sort of talking about after the Man United defeat. And then also the other really disappointing thing was I was fully expecting an onslaught, an attacking onslaught, even like a 10-minute spell of of sustained momentum and pressure at the Newcastle goal, at least in that second half. And it just didn't happen. And yes, you have to give credit to Newcastle, who I thought kept their kept their line at a, 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 a decent area of the pitch. They didn't sit back in their own six-yard box, you know, and kind of invite pressure on. Credit to Newcastle for that. What team would ever do that? What kind of ludicrous team would sit on the edge of their own box inviting exactly. pressure? <laughs> but it was just really just really disappointing. And, you know, perhaps you can look at lack of options. Yes, when Skip and Sessegnon went off, you know, they missed they missed a bit, of, a bit of drive and a bit of direct running and a bit of pace and a bit of positivity. So maybe you can look at the options that Conte didn't have. But, you know, still, the players that are on the pitch should have been more than good enough to it like i said at least a spell of a spell of pressure and 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 give newcastle something to think about i don't think they really about, made another even half chance after no, the after no, the kane's goal did they me, me and jack were, were discussing nick's pope saves uh, of, of which there weren't any in that second half so it, it it was a real letdown newcastle obviously time wasted a lot as as is their right to do and got the crowd um the crowd are very angry about that but i thought newcastle saw the game out really well it was a very mature yeah, newcastle performance played really from, from, well. from them. You, you don't you know don't want to deny them that but uh, they were no absolutely not and it was interesting to hear eddie howe say that it was their um best performance under him which is the second time i've heard that in a press conference in in three days after ten Hag said the same um for manchester united and obviously that you know the common denominator there is, is 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 tottenham um i guess in a way allowing them allowing that to happen so Disappointing on a lot of fronts. Interesting to hear the crowd turn, certainly for the first time since, since I've been covering Spurs, um, which kind of suggests, you know, that, that as, as we know, despite the fact they're third in the table and had won their previous 10 at home in all competitions, that it doesn't take much um, for the crowd to, to, to turn yes, because of the yeah, underlying issues that, yes that, we, no, that we Tim, discussed. Tim, you, you know, you, you're a newbie here, a blow-in, as we would say in this part of the world. Um, but it, it doesn't take much for the Tottenham crowd to turn. That is certainly true. But it's also a reflection of the fact that they know full well that the team hasn't played well this season. Um, yeah, that's it. And, yeah, that's, and they've that's, kind that's, of snuck results, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So the, so they're obviously... Um, it just it just reflects the underlying issues that, that we've been talking about for quite a few weeks, really, that, that are just there under the surface. And it just takes a couple of quick-fire Newcastle goals for, for them to, to boil over. Now, I, I've got to be honest here, um, because uh, anyone who's a regular listener, and of course you're all regular listeners, why wouldn't you be, um, that I am a an inveterate and regular defender of Hugo Lloris. Um, I think he's a fine goalkeeper. I think he's a fine captain. I think all kinds of good things about him. But you've got to, you've got to be honest and, and say things as, as they are. Um, he was completely at fault for the first goal. Now, and I don't care what the Spurs players thought, and I'll tell you about that in a second. And I'd argue he was at fault with the second for the second goal as well. Although, you know, in the modern world where managers are encouraging goalkeepers to play cross-field balls to colleagues who are only 25 yards from their own goal, um, I expect that the, the coaching system needs to take some, some discredit there as well. Uh, as regards, and I'll get your views on this, all of you, uh, as regards the foul, um, you know, that the Spurs players are crying for after the goal... Let's be let's be honest. I think it's perfectly uh, legitimate, as I do, to hold a position that it was probably a foul because 
He put his arm out to stop the goalkeeper's forward progress. But also, I don't want to see that given as a foul. I don't want that goal disallowed. Otherwise, if you can't have that much physical contact in the game, then there's no game as we know it. You're reducing it to an exhibition. Well done, Callum Wilson. Won the skirmish for the ball and then lobbed the goalkeeper. And Spurs going around crying about it. I mean, and let's be fair, there's, the argument would be, VAR and all the rest of it, they were lucky to get away with Emerson's handball. Um, you know, later in the game. I didn't think that was a penalty either. But if you if you if you disallow the 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 contact for, for, that Callum Wilson made with with, with Hugo Loris, then you're going to have to give penalties because the game is becoming ridiculously hairline decisions. I don't know. I kind of felt at the time I thought it would get disallowed. I was surprised that it didn't get overturned. Um, I think on the replays you can see uh, Wilson putting his arm across Loris. He does. I know. I, I, know, I certainly know that. Um, the club are people at the club are b- bemused and angry about the fact that that goal was allowed to stand. So yeah, I was slightly surprised that it stood. Even if I kind, I see where you're coming from. That ideally, you know, you would allow a degree of contact. But equally, the way that you know the way that football is refereed is that goalkeepers are protected. Um, but they're not goalkeepers when they're that far out, are they? Well, well exactly. He's, maybe he's, not. He's, he's become an outfield player, and I think the super slow mo that we saw Jack in, in in the in the press box, it did it did look like a foul because his arm just yeah. moved towards him. But then when you look at the real time one, it just looks like a like a natural collision between two players who are running towards each other. So I I, I don't see how you can give it as a foul. It wouldn't be a foul if it's two outfield players. So really, I kind of think that sometimes they are so. given as foul if they're two out. Like if a player runs, those, those kind of front on collisions are sometimes given as fouls. If, so, with, with two outfield players. Sometimes. But it, it didn't look like it in this case. Which I, then I thought, starts I thought the, the argument of where is he supposed to go? Where would Wilson go? And, you know... I, right, yeah. Yeah. But that argument... I mean, I, that's what people always say, Danny, but that argument is sometimes the basis for decisions. Like, people's... Like, the, the kind of where's he supposed to go free kick does often get given. It does. Even if, logically, maybe I can see why people think it shouldn't. All right. Well, you know, th- that could have gone either way, um, and I have no qualms about the goal being given. The second one... And uh, look, I'm not going to win this battle and I'm not going to fight this battle. I'm not going to die on a hill. But it's worth noting every time that the playing out from the back goal gets conceded, um, whether or not, you know, the, the, the coaching manual now says that uh, playing out against the press and all the rest of it gives you a better chance of doing X, Y and Z. But it's not a million years ago from from the days when playing a ball in your own half square over any distance more than 10 metres would be anathema because we all know what happens. If it gets intercepted, the line is broken. Um, and Larice's chip, and it was it was like a, a lazy golf chip out towards Cessignon. The second that was in the air, you, my, my alarms were going off in my head. What if this gets intercepted? Because Almiron is in the kind of form that if it happens to fall to him, you can forget about it. I don't want to claim any great foresight, but you know that goal had had actually been scored in my head while the ball was in the air. Now, of course, yeah. if the ball, if Sessegnon wins the wins the challenge for the header, I I just forget that I ever had that thought. I don't know whether to blame Lloris for it. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, oh, yeah, he's obviously he's obviously part of the blame, but they still shouldn't be scoring from that position because Sessegnon gets shrugged off the ball far too easily, and then Longley's a, a passenger really. He just he, st- he stood and watched Almiron go past him. Um, I mean, in terms of playing out from the back, they don't look comfortable doing it. Um, Eric Eric Dyer's made quite a few mistakes along these lines in, in recent weeks. I mean, he almost scored a, a blinding goal yesterday when mm. when he when he tr- tried to find the bottom corner. 
and in terms of Lloris, his individual errors in the last few weeks are, are adding up as well. There was obviously the Arsenal goal. Um, I, he was man of the match at Old Trafford, but but he started that game by let by letting uh, a shot through his fingers that could have ended up in the bottom corner as well. If that if that had gone in, then it, we'd be talking about Lloris a lot more really as, as as a liability at the moment. So. I'm not sure that second goal happens without without the first goal because there was just a nervousness, you know, from from, from the players, um, from the stands as well, and it was just the reaction, like I said, to that first goal was just really surprising. This 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 sort of mental fragility, which of course is compounded when you're playing out from the back and Newcastle are pressing so effectively, which they were. Yeah, there was definitely a, a, a real sense of nervousness. I thought yesterday, which was clearly like. Uh, under the surface, let's say, and then as soon as they conceded that first goal, it erupted, and that you know there was a sort of feed, call it this kind of feedback loop from the players, the fans, and vice versa, and this kind of feeds into the fact that one and this kind of gets to what you're talking about, Danny. One of the problems that Spurs have got at the moment is they're committed to playing out from the back, but they're not really that good at it. Or certainly, I mean, it's not it's not this it's not Larissa's strength. It's not really Dyer's strength. The one guy who's, the, you know, Longley's good at it. Romero's good at it, but wasn't playing yesterday. And, but, you know, this is how they attack. You know, they yeah. attack by having the ball deep and then, you know, hoping that the opposition will come forward and create the space for Tottenham to attack into. So they can't, if they just started hoofing it long, then they wouldn't really be, there wouldn't be much point in that either. But, you they're, you know, we, we saw this, was it the first goal they conceded against Eintracht Frankfurt start, you know, came with that, um, with Dyer, I think, messing around at the back. And it's kind of inevitable that particularly when things start to go against them, that it's gonna go it's gonna go wrong more often than Conte would want it to. Why do you think um and Tim, I'll give you a chance with one of your tactics boards here, why do you think apart from Newcastle's excellence, and they were really good, why do you think Spurs having got um, a, a goal back from a set piece, and that's the only thing they seem to be that are really good at at the moment. Uh, I think they've got more corners scored than any other team in the Premier League, is that right? Um, they 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 get the goal back. Why do you think then they don't really muster another chance? Probably a lot of what we've been talking about pretty much every week recently that that link between midfield and attack isn't there without Kulisevsky. I thought Skip was that link for for periods, particularly the first half yesterday. Um, but obviously, having not played since January, uh, he was pretty tired. I think he went off on like the hour mark, sixty five minutes, something like that. So they just haven't they haven't got the players to to link midfield with attack effectively. I mean, Bentancur I thought had a decent game yesterday and 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 broke out of midfield a couple of times and and rode a couple of challenges. But then that final ball from him just isn't there. You know, there was one time I think he took on two players brilliantly in his own half, burst into Newcastle's half and then just gave the ball away. They ha- they haven't got the players in my mind um, with, with with a group of similar midfielders to break those to break those lines and then someone like someone like Perisic you think could maybe help along those lines but he he's just I, I don't know what's wrong with him at the moment but he's 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 certainly moved down a level since the start of the season um, I'm not sure what he's offering to the team at the moment other than other than experience so Royale on the other side you know same story with him yesterday no surprises well, there more on him later so, I think um, the, yeah so the clicking sound is the sound of me loading both barrels. Um, I've my patience with uh, Emerson, lovely guy apparently, and the like the way he plays with a smile is starting to come to a to an end. I feel, um, and the problem is, Jack. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. In the three in the three five two, the five, the two wing backs and the three midfield players are all much of a muchness, and none of them have any innate creativity. They may have positional creativity if Conte's system works, and you get wide with the possibility of crossing the ball towards. 
um, the oncoming forwards, including Kane and Son, obviously. But overall, there's not much variety there, is there? No, there's not. Um, I actually don't think that I didn't. I, I thought Royale was fine yesterday. I didn't think he was especially bad. I thought he got into, into some. I thought he kind of interchanged well with with the players around him. I thought Skip was was fine as well on his first start since January. But you're right that if you know if you've got to play that way, then the the creativity comes really through the runs that the players make rather than you know the kind of technical quality that they might have on the ball if they get it in space and you know it's we we have to reflect in that first half hour they did actually from a creative perspective they were good you know Kane and Son forced really good saves from Pope Son had a few other half chances it was largely Kane who was doing the creating though wasn't it yeah, it was, yeah. but the, I thought that overall the, the the movement was sure. good. There were some good moves where, like Skip, for example, would run beyond everyone else to open up space and then receive a pass, and then so Tottenham. I thought so. Some of that play was good. What I thought was more worrying, I think, it could because you know on another day Kane and Son would have scored those chances, they would have been two 0 up, and it would have been game over. But I think what was probably more frustrating was how they didn't create anything in open play from the second half at all. There was, I mean, obviously the Kane goal came from a set piece and was nearly di- disallowed itself. Um, and then there were, you know, you were kind of hoping that they would come back into the game or pick Newcastle apart, and they just had nothing. Like there was no, you know, even when they had, even when they made those same changes, they brought Lucas on, they brought Perisic on, and it, frankly, it didn't really make a difference. No, well, I, 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 I popcorn out everybody because um, I, you know, I'm loath to disagree with a person of your um, intelligence and erudition, Jack. I thought Emerson Royal was useless yesterday. Um, he, he, you're right. He he did interchange, and then he gets into those positions anything ten yards north of 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 the halfway line, and I just don't know what he's supposed to, what he thinks he's even trying to do. And I can't blame him defensively because the goals came down the other side. Um, uh, you know, so I'm not gonna. I, I don't want to comment on that. And maybe that is what, maybe that's what Conte sees in him. That he is just. A, a, but if he is a better defender than Matt Doherty, then Matt is an experienced uh, international about whom we'll talk later. Who needs to look at himself. And if Jed Spence isn't a better contributor to the team overall, then Spurs have bought another Jack Clark, haven't they? Um, because now it, you know it's months into into his uh, learning the Conte system. And if he's if he's not better than that. Um, then it's a problem. I'll give you, for example, three teams um, that have better right-backs in the Premier League. Nottingham Forest in Serge Aurier, Southampton in Carl Walker-Peters, and Newcastle themselves with Kieran Trippier. What do they all have in common? Ex-Tottenham right-backs. It's nuts. Um, I've got no... Uh, look, he, he seems to try his guts out. He's an athletic guy. Um, as I say, it, a bit too much arguing about everything, Emerson Royal, but I'm... My, I've got to say it, my patience is wearing thin with somebody. It's a year and a half now. Come on, guy. Either you can play at this level or you can't. But I think that that's, that's not his fault. That's Tottenham's fault. I mean, I don't, I don't completely disagree with your analysis. And I can't but sack Tottenham, the, can I? Well, no, but you can't blame Emerson Royale for being Emerson Royale. I, I wouldn't blame Emerson Royale for being Emerson Royale. But what I do, I blame Tottenham for going through the last two, win- you know, the January window is when they thought... Um, Look, we, we we need a right wing back to play this style. Let's go and sign Adama Traore. Yeah, uh, and they they didn't do it. And then in the summer, they I think they might have considered it again and didn't do it again. They ended up with Spence as their only right wing back signing, who of course Conte doesn't particularly want to play. 
And now they've had they've had two they've had two shots at this and they've blown it both. I mean, effectively they've blown it both times. If we're not going to if if Spence is unselectable or unstartable, um, and like, I I actually I like I quite like Doherty, but he's you know he's not obviously you know he's he's had his injuries and I think they considered letting him go back to Wolves a year ago or sorry in January of this year. Um, and what they don't have is a is a you know an obvious top level right wing back who you know it's not the hardest position in the world to recruit in, um, and so yeah I, I think blaming Emerson Royale for being who he is is kind of pointless but blaming Paratici for for not buying a better player than Royale I think is probably more to the point. Well, Troyore was available for ten million in the summer, so for, you know for someone who's been on closely on Tottenham's radar for for about a year or eighteen months at that point to be available for ten million to surely be open to the move. And for that just not to materialise is a bit strange, really. When yes, yes, okay, you can be an option at wing back, but also in the forward areas, you know, they could really do with a player of his uh, potential destruction um, and variety you, at this you moment watched, in time. You watched Adama for three, four years. It was I can't. I mean, you probably tell me the exact number of games you watched him play. Is there anything about him that makes you suspect he could be a successful right wing back? Um, well, it, he's 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 so quick that he can make up for his. I mean, you can't you can't defend all, but you know. Um, but he's he, he's a he's a, he's a wild card option, and I know he's not keen on playing wing back, but he ha- but he so has done so. Other than the so, fact that he can't um, do it and he doesn't want to, he's the perfect <laughs> candidate. Is that right? Even but at he ten has million, done so you know, su- successfully on a number of occasions. I remember he played at right wing back at Man City away. Um, and and, co- and cope very well. Yes, Spurs. Uh, Spurs. Wolves had a deep line that day, but his his pace gets him out of trouble. But still, for ten million, a player of his potential destruction and wild card ability, you know, to have in a squad is is um, a bit of a no brainer for me. But anyway, you know, in terms of Emerson Royal, obviously, you know, you, you you hear things from an outsider point of view as 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 to who the better players in the team are and who the weak links are. But I came into this job with a completely open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and but from what I've seen of him over almost two months now, is is that he's a weak licking weak licking the team, and I don't I don't know if it's if this is just part of Conte's stubborn streak that that he's going to continue playing him to to try and uh, prove people wrong. I don't know, but you've got two wing backs, as Jack said, behind him in the pecking order with you know with different attributes, something to offer. And certainly uh, enthusiasm, and, and you know, Jed, Jed Spence is desperate for a run in the team, and I'm sure Doherty is as well. But for some reason, um, he persists with Royale, who is okay defensively, not the best, but you know, he's, he's okay. Sometimes a bit too hesitant for me, but certainly going forward, you know, as one of those five forwards when you're playing three four three, he's 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 just got no end product. The numbers speak for themselves. I think it's one goal and two assists since he joined the club, which just just isn't enough for the areas that he gets in week after but week. Who is Antonio being stubborn about? Me, you, Jack? We're nobodies, we're no marks, with all due respect to both of you. Um it, it, I don't get this stubbornness thing. Let, let me let me uh, uh, one more bright spot if I may before we get on to t- uh, Antonio Conte's post match reaction. Um, every every game now, I must bring you something that Harry Kane has done. That's remarkable. Um, that was his 10th goal in the Premier League this season. That's nine years running. He's got double figures in the Premier League. I'm pretty sure, and I'm, got, I'm having to think about Jimmy Greasy, I'm pretty sure no Spurs player has ever done anything like that. Um, it must be quite unusual, um, even the Premier League in general. Double figures for the ninth successive season. One season wonder, of course. This is also his um, his best ever goal tally at this stage of a Premier League season. I was reading this morning, which um, which goes under the radar because of because of Harlan's goal, I guess. But yeah, he's um, he's having his his best ever best ever start. So I've just looked it up on Wikipedia, ah. and I hope these numbers are correct. 
But Jimmy Greaves, this is ridiculous. Jimmy Greaves scored 20 plus first division goals in 11 out of 12 seasons. Mad. From the 57 58 season to the 68 69 season. The one where he didn't, he managed 15 in 29 league goals, which is 65 66 in the build up to the World Cup. Uh, but he's still almost scoring one in two, even though he didn't manage to hit 20. And of course, if you want, if you just want consecutive seasons of hitting 20 plus, then it's what uh, it's eight in a row, which is even more amazing because um, it's even sorry one two three four five six seven yeah eight in a row, which is even more amazing given that sixty one sixty two he obviously started at Milan, came to Tottenham, and then hit twenty one in twenty two in the second half of that season after readjusting to a life. Back so in how England. many of those seasons are successively with Spurs? So sixty one sixty two through to. Uh, so with Spurs, one, two, three, four. So four straight of twenty plus. Yep. Then the season where he hit a meager fifteen, yep. and then another three straight of twenty plus. So that's a total of eight double figures. Uh, yeah, for Spurs, yeah. one, two, three, yeah, four. Yeah. yeah, eight and eight in double figures. Seven of which were twenty plus. Yeah, I mean those figures. So as not I say, bad. No, no. His numbers are bewildering equally when these numbers ring are bewildering in terms of minutes per goal and all the rest of it um, but you know Kane in the modern world is still a phenomenon after the game I thought Antonio Conte bear with me here spoke very sensibly about the need for rebuilding the fact that they are a bit short in some places of course, he talked about the injuries, although he, he, he talked very weirdly about Romero's injury, as though Romero is allowed to say when he isn't and isn't playing and all the rest of it. And there was a dark hints about the upcoming World Cup and all the rest of it. All of this would have cheered me after a dispiriting defeat like the one against Newcastle if I had any belief that he was in for the long-term project of all this. But while he doesn't sign that contract, Tim... I just sit there going, well, this is all, this is, you know, Conte strikes me now as like a person who you, you give over your your house to for a couple of weeks, their house sitting while you're on holiday. They completely re- redecorate the entire house to their own taste and then they say, I'm off now. Thanks very much. I mean, none of this makes any sense while he doesn't sign this contract. Yeah, I agree with you, Danny. And yeah, I agree on the press conference as well. I was, I was sat there and um, I thought he summed the game up pretty well. Didn't make any excuses. The opening question was, "Oh, you, you played better in the second half than the than the first, To which he immediately took uh, said journalist to task. He said, "Actually, no. We. I hope that wasn't <laughs> we you gro- or Jack. They certainly were. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. I do you know? I don't know who it was. Um, but yeah. And then he was asked about uh, nervousness and defence, which he replied by talking about squad depth, basically. Um, and then, yeah, talks about the future a lot. I mean, this this is a recurring theme in his press conferences that he's at the start of a project, which obviously he's you know he's coming up to a year in post now. So he's he's certainly talking about it still being early days and and being in it you know for, for, for the long term. And we need several more windows to get this right. He also called for unity yesterday, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, he said, you know, we really need to get through these next few weeks, this schedule. Again, you can't argue with that. It is a ridiculous schedule. The 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 the, the final game before the World Cup is two weeks on Sunday, and they've still got six games to go before then. He talks about wanting sort of the commitment and desire and will of his players. He's now talking about calling for unity, I guess, in the stands, but that needs to be reflected in in him showing commitment with a with a longer term contract. And I know that contracts aren't really 
worth the paper they're written on really sure. in football but it's 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 the optics of it really you know if 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 fans think he's not in it for the long haul then you're going to get reactions perhaps like we saw on Sunday where it just took a couple of quick fire goals for for the stands to not be happy um it is is it's an ongoing issue and it's not an issue that's going to go away until he either leaves the club or signs a contract and I, I don't know I kind of feel like I feel like the reasons that Tottenham are not playing well at the moment are not because Conte hasn't signed a new contract and they would not be solved by Conte signing a new contract either. I think that, you know, the reasons that they're not playing well are they've got a thin squad, they can't create chances, they're too reliant on Kuliseski, they haven't bought good wing-backs. And so I, I'm not sure... I mean, look, if we were in this situation in March and we were coming down to really the lot the end of his contract and, be question, and a new deal hadn't been signed yet and we didn't know if Spurs were going to trigger the option or whatever. At that point, I think it would be it would be fair to say that, you know, there was a sense of drift that had that would have to be answered by an answer on Spurs's on Conte's future rather. But I think right now they're playing badly because they're playing badly. I'm not sure I completely put too much uh, I'd worry too much about the contract situation at the moment. For me, the the worry at the moment is just is the fact that I think maybe we came into the season with a little bit slightly too high expectations, and that what what's happened the last few weeks has actually reminded us that structurally the position that Tottenham are in is not is not really as good as we thought. The squad is clearly not as good as we thought. Conte's warnings about you know we're going to need another two or three windows does make you realise that they are actually you know they need a lot more players to be able to play the way that he wants them to play. I, I, Jack, I, I accept that um, you might need more windows than he's had, which then asks them, begs the next question, do you think Antonio is getting the best out of the players he does have now? Which is, after all, the job of the coach. Um, well, no, I don't think he is, because I think a lot of players are... I think when he came in last year, I thought it was obvious that everyone improved. Like, he improved That's every single player. That's perfectly fair. Uh, now I think that, that that is not the case at the moment. Lots of play you know, lots of players are playing badly. Um now, you know, clearly Son is playing very badly. Like he's only he's only scored in two games yeah. this season, yeah. uh, having started almost every single one. Uh, I think there's probably another level from Kane. Maybe that's a bit unfair on Kane sure. because you know he we judge him by such high standards now. Romero's not been himself this season. Eric Dyer's come away uh, Di- from where Dyer started really well, but he's been poor that, recently. Yeah. Lloris is very inconsistent. I still feel like there's at least two more levels to come out of Sessegnon. I don't think we've seen much from Perisic yet. Wow. So clearly he's he's not getting a lot out of, out of a lot of these players. At the same time, it's not Conte's fault. There's a World Cup in three weeks. And I think, and I think it's you know, I don't think it's unfair on the play. I don't think it's unfair on the players to say some of these players look like they're playing with half an eye on the World Cup. Like I think that's perfectly natural that they that they would do that. Um, yeah, but but also, the, I mean, the World Cup's the same for every for every team, and that you know, you you, you look at Man United p- producing their best performance of the season the other night, Newcastle perform- producing their best performance of the season um, on Sunday. It's clearly not affecting them as much as it is Spurs and maybe that buys into the fact that mentally they're just not quite all there at the moment, which again is something Conte is referring to. I, I hear what you're saying, Jack, but uh, I'm at the risk of sounding reasonable, which I really don't want to do. Um, Tim is right as well. It's the same for every team. And Napoli... Um, right, but uh, I feel like Spurs' key players are all players who are going to the World Cup. Whereas yep. at Man United, like Rashford and Sancho probably won't go to the World Cup. Uh, maybe Tottenham are slightly overexposed on this point. Uh, um, I don't know. Okay. 
Um, we should. Make, I, I think it's uh, you know, but people listening to our voices will only really want to care about uh, Spurs. But what happens with other teams uh, does affect Spurs. And I thought yesterday was another significant step in what we were warning about the last podcast that um, you know, in, inexorably the kind of money Newcastle have will um, see them projected into the into the, uh, the high table of English football. Um, and I guess, Tim, that was a, another important step for them. They are coming, whether you like yeah. it or not. Yeah, they are coming. I mean, Conte said on Friday that they are they are the danger um, and he fully expects them to be challenging, well, for the title, he said, and top four and trophies, you know, in, in the coming years. Um, it wasn't a lucky win for them. It wasn't wasn't seat-of-the-pants stuff. I thought I thought they they played very maturely, actually. Balance. It was about balance, wasn't it? Their, their defence defends well, their midfield is, is versatile and the forwards are quick enough to cause anyone trouble. It's just a well-balanced team, not relying on either the sort of gung-ho pirate football that I might want to see or standing on the edge of your own penalty area hoping something good will happen. No, definitely, and, and I think you can see that they all buy into Eddie Howe's methods. You can't argue with that, and it's and it's and it's not it's not a team of superstars. That a lot a lot of these players were there, you know, before the takeover a year ago. Um, they're following his instructions to the letter, and 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 they're enjoying playing football for him. And you know, in direct contrast to Spurs, I'm not sure you could say the same for them at the moment. And in in Joe Linton, they have one of the great transformations, Jack, in the, in the history of professional football. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Laughing stock to to re- utterly reliable midfielder. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it just shows you how quickly the, the things can change if you know yeah. if it's a change of role or a change of manager or whoever. Uh, but yeah, he he he's a good player, and also Bruno Guimaraes is a brilliant player. He's yeah. such a good midfielder. Um, I I I I've never had any kids that I know of, um, but those of you have, um, if there are any among, amongst our number here. Um, he also did all that yesterday off the back of um, two sleepless nights with a newborn. So good luck to uh, the Gomesh family. Yeah, and also I mean, the other thing to say about Newcastle is that Isaac's out injured, who was their you know yep. their main summer signing. So Maximum was out. I think he would have caused all, all kinds of problems against uh, Royal and Sanchez yeah, yesterday. Imagine. And I was, I was glad before kickoff that he wasn't playing, and yet they can still produce that performance without a couple of injured players. They, they are coming. Spurs have to deal with it like they have to deal with any other team that suddenly becomes uh, successful or has the prospect of success laid before them. Let's have a break. When we come back, we'll change completely. I want to talk about uh, an interview that Matt Doherty has done in an Irish newspaper. And I think that's the important word there is Irish. Um, we'll preview the game against Lisbon on Wednesday, which now um, holds more jeopardy in the run of results than it did in and of itself uh, a few days ago, and we'll be revealing who the podcast, another podcast, after you've listened to this one on Tuesday, there'll be another one out in which myself uh, and uh, Jack and James Moore um, managed to spend, well, it was over an hour, um, but it could have been three hours the way he was going on, um, managed to spend some time with a genuine legend of Spurs and world football. And I'll tell you, I'll reveal in like, a, like a magician, I'll reveal that to you and you'll hear a little bit of the interview before the end of this. You're listening to The View from Lane, Tim Spears, Jack Pitt-Brooker in the house and I'm Danny Kelly along with them as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. everybody to the view from the lane i'm danny kelly tim spears and jack pitbrook from the athletic are here with me all right we're, we're we're over the misery of newcastle the one good thing about this season is that the games keep coming thick and fast and we'll talk about tottenham's next chance to redeem themselves against sporting lisbon in just a while because of where i live i happened to see an interview this week in the irish independent with matt Doherty. very good newspaper by the way and we always say oh the foreign players they uh, they always say things when they're talking to their local um journalists and I wondered whether Matt felt more relaxed because it was in a newspaper that perhaps he knew um, would be largely seen in the Republic of Ireland, where he's from, of course. Um, and he talked about what being a professional player in the Premier League has done to him as a person and indeed to his family life. I thought, Jack, that it was, you know, and we see some amazing interviews in The Athletic, but I thought it was what, it was a tremendous sit-down interview. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so I read this this morning and I can honestly say this is one of the most interesting interviews I've read with not even just a Tottenham player, but but with any player in for ages and ages. It's so revealing about what Doherty's like, what motivates him, how he judges his time at Tottenham. It's revealing about, you know, on the pitch, what's it like to play wing back versus full back, his relationships with Mourinho, with Conte, with Nuno. His background, you know, how he came over to, to to play in England in the first place. I think the most interesting of all is, as Danny was saying, about the mentality of being an elite footballer. Give how, people the headlines. How though, Doherty yeah. has how Doherty has adjusted to it, and the impact that it's had on his family life. There's an, a really remarkable section where he says, "Being a footballer every day, I think, has made me cold in certain aspects. In family life, I'm just emotionless at times." In football, you have to stay so level that I take that across into family life at times. That's not really a great thing. Obviously, you love your kids, but I just know from from people telling me that I'm quite emotionless and quite cold. 
People used to say that I was never like that, but in my head, that is just the way it has to be. If someone was to come up and ask me for a picture, I'd say yeah, but my face would not change. So I'm not deliberately doing that. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just not overly friendly. It's amazing. That, 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 that two paragraphs screamed off the page at me when I yeah. first saw them a few days ago. I've never, just I've incredibly. genuinely never read anything like this. Like I've never read a player admitting how much football has changed them and, you know, not in a good way, frankly. In a positive way, no. Yeah. no. Tim, did you did you get a chance to, to, to read the piece with Matt? Because, of course, you probably know him from his, from his years and yeah, years I'll, and years at Wolves. Well, <clears throat> I followed him really closely throughout his career, obviously, spent quite a bit of time with him you know he was he was a sort of a relaxed sort of joker of the dressing room type in his early days at Wolves and and he and he, and he has as he references in the interview ha- had to sort of become dispassionate really um, to help his career and even when he was in League One with Wolves he wasn't he wasn't he was nowhere near their best player in League One and this is, I'm talking 2013-14 here and it's often been levelled at him pretty much every stage of his sort of growth up the leagues that he's that he's not good enough. You know, he's never been one where you've looked at him in League One or the Championship and thought, oh, you know, he's destined yeah. for great things. So maybe that's that's part of the journey he's talking about here, that he's had to change his personality just as much as his sort of improve his ability on the field, you know, to get to the top. Um, even, in the, like I said, in the Championship, people were saying he wasn't good enough. I remember him being written off. Then he was player of the season at left back in 15-16, which I think gave him some belief. And then when Wolves were promoted to the Premier League, this was 2018-19, and he references this game in the piece, actually, a game away at Leicester, which I think was the second game of the season. And he scored an own goal that day. He missed an absolute sitter from six yards. And then he went off injured after an hour. And everybody was basically saying, Matt Doherty, clearly not a Premier League player. But again... He ignores those massive doubts. He stays grounded. He just gets on with it. And he responded with 30 goal involvements in the next two seasons, 30 goals and assists combined. Again, massively written off at Spurs, more than at any point in his career. You know, very, very publicly. He was a, he was a, he was a figure of derision, really, in, the, in that first kind of season or so. And he responded, you know, last season with obviously his great performances for a brief period and um, and a pretty solid, reliable, solid performer when we've seen him this season. So a lot of it comes from his background, Danny. You know, he's, he's, his, um, he w- used to work with his father, um, who runs a carpet cleaning business back in Ireland and still does, you know, to this day. Um, got a very close family, a lot of whom still live back home. Who, who, like he says, you do need to have an ego, but he is, compared to the majority of modern footballers, very, very grounded. And a very interesting character who actually said, who actually says things in interviews, you know, he doesn't talk in cliches. Well, and, and in this interview, as I say, people have got to try and see it. So you just put Matt Doherty, Irish Independent, on the into a search engine, you, you'll read it. I mean, somewhat, Tim, this is exacerbated, I think, as well, by the fact that um, even at international level, um, he's had a real struggle at times, Matt, because um, I can't remember a time where a player who was playing absolutely regularly for a Premier League side wasn't a regular in the in the Republic of Ireland team in the last 20 years, but he was always behind Seamus Coleman, who was both captain of the team and a really good player until his legs have started perhaps to betray him a little bit these days. Stephen Kenny's tried occasionally to fit them both into a kind of 3-4-3, 
But even when he was playing that wonderful football that he was playing at Wolves, and no one could deny that two seasons he had where um, everything he was doing was causing terrible problems for the opposition, he wasn't getting a, a you know, as the people in the, interviewing him in the Irish Independent know, he wasn't even getting a full-time gig at, you know, with, with the Republic. Yeah, I think there was a brief period, maybe when Mick McCarthy came back, where it seemed like him and Seamus Coleman were the best two players in the Ireland setup and, and both playing the same position. So, he, yeah, he tried him at, at, at right wing, tried about left back where he feels very comfortable and actually prefers playing um, and yeah he, he had to work to get in the squad as well um, and I know that his deme- his demeanour the demeanour he talks about in this interview but also things like um, wearing gloves for example have, have put, put people off ridiculously from him in the past um, and has led to him getting fewer cap- far fewer caps than he should have done Um but yeah, it's a very open interview. He actually said, and you very, very rarely hear a footballer say this, that part of the reason he joined Spurs was for more money. And it's, it's, that's completely obvious, perhaps, to everybody. Um, but yeah, but to hear someone actually say that, you know, admitted part of the reason, uh, it was really refreshing. And he says he let Mourinho down. Feels, seems that like, stuff seems about Mourinho about was that. amazing. That stuff about Mourinho was fascinating because it's so... You know, he obviously had a pretty bad time under Mourinho, and I think Mourinho was pretty was. I know Mourinho was very tough on him. Uh, he's one of those players who I think Mourinho thought, you know, I'm going to hammer him and I'm going to get a reaction, and clearly he he did hammer him and he didn't get a reaction. Now I would, exp- you know, and I think there was an interview that Doherty gave to I think the, believe the Mail on Sunday fairly recently where he talked about being left. You know, he he wasn't allowed off the bus or something by Mourinho because he was in he was getting excluded from from the team at that point. So, you know, you could say he might have a legitimate grievance against Mourinho, but instead his words on Mourinho are, I let him down. People think he was bad for me, but it was the other way around. He put a lot of faith in me and I didn't really perform. I just didn't play well. I didn't grasp it. I don't know. I just wasn't able to get going there at the start, which is, you know, not a normal thing for a player to to say. And again, I think it really underlines how what an interesting character Doherty is and also what a, a sort of honest and kind of self-reflective interview this yeah, is. I, I think, as I say, it, it, you know, it's, it's widely available online. You should go and see it because rarely do you see a football, uh, and for all kinds of good reasons, I think, um, and I know that this must be a, a pain for Jack and Tim who do that uh, interviewing for a living, rarely do you see a footballer uh, allow himself to stand, um, well, almost naked uh, in, in the light of his own views. Um as I said, Spurs have a chance to change the uh, narrative, that awful word, to change the feeling around the club when they take on Sporting Lisbon um, on Wednesday, 8 o'clock kickoff in the Champions League. Um, Jack, what are you expecting there? I mean, will he change much? I, I, he hasn't got enough players to change much, has he? No, he was. Com- I mean, he was complaining about this in the press conference last night. Like, he just doesn't... The squad is very small and thin. You know, there's not a lot of options for him to to make changes like you know they can bring on um, they can bring in Perisic they can bring in Davis they can bring in Doherty um they'll have to wait and see on whether Romero and Hoybjerg who pulled out of this game will be able to be back for the next one or maybe he might think that he wants to keep them he wants to preserve them for Bournemouth which I think is now you know a big must win Kulisewski's not going to be ready Richarlison's not going to be ready so really there's there's not a huge amount that he can do and as as we saw Tim in the first leg, um, Sporting who haven't are not doing well in the Portuguese league. Let's let's be truthful about that. Um, Benfica are the power this year in Portugal, but as we saw in the game in Portugal, 
They are no pushovers, and that's Danny. You can do better than that. They're a decent team who will catch you on the break if if, if you give them a chance. Yeah, absolutely. That front three of Marcus Edwards, obviously, but also Pedro Gonzalez and Francisco mm. Trincao. They were they were dovetailing really nicely. They were pulling Spurs defenders out of position, pulling Eric Dyer all over the place, and causing problems. And you know, deservedly won that day. There are no easy answers at the moment, or obvious answers to what he should do with the team. I think I think there's just a growing feeling that that yes, certain players need to come back. Um, certain players could do with playing, being fit enough to play ninety minutes. You know, even a couple that are now available to them, like Skip and Lucas Mora. Um, I don't know if Lucas is fit enough to start, and if that's an option to go three four three, which um, which could potentially bring something different to the team. I, I really liked what Skip did on Sunday. I thought uh, he was just different, and you know, he gets his head up. And is positive and plays vertical passes and runs he, beyond the line. He is, you know, he is not, a not, definitive I've, John McDermott product, that fella. Um, it's exactly what they're required to do. Trap it with the first touch and get it forward with the second. Well, he also links up re- you know, really nicely with Harry Kane. You could tell that they had a bit of an understanding. It's, it's the first time I've really seen Skip uh, in the flesh make a start ever, really. And I was, I was, actually, I was really impressed with him. But whether, whether he's fit enough to even start again in midweek, you know, he, 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 was, he was blowing after an hour. So it feels it feels more about right now who can they get back and who can they get fit for ninety minutes. Um, it's becoming a recurring issue. And of course, it would be a a really really good thing to win this game because it might results go the right way. It might allow them to rest. You know, if you would dare to do such a thing, to rest virtually anybody of value against Marseille in the last uh, game in this group. Yeah, that has to be what they're hoping for. I think. I think if. Frankfurt beat Marseille on Wednesday night in Germany, then Tottenham will win the group. But if Tottenham can win the group, if they, provided they win, week, provided they win their game as well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, provided yeah. that Tottenham beat Sporting. But if Tottenham can, if Tottenham can win the group this week, then you know they can play, they can play the kids to France, in France, which would be an amazing. Thing and I, for them and to I be would literally, if that happened, I would literally advise him just to play some people I've never heard of. They can play the DJ, yeah, Danny. We, well, I'm. I, I, I'm still digging DJ. on that. Um, uh, update on the music in the stadium. Incidentally, it was it, it, just as much um, early, well, 2005, six India. I understand this, but this weekend again, um, I'm beginning to close in on that person. Why it's so difficult? I know why it's so difficult. You won't ring the club, Danny, and just ask them. Um, I prefer to do it through Twitter. Um, I'm the Twitter Sherlock Holmes, so we'll get some more on that for you. Well, it was quite it was quite a good post match this week. Me and Jack were were bopping away. Um, after full time to Cooler Shaker and the Charlatans. Okay. I was, yeah. I was quite enjoying that. I haven't that. heard Cooler Shaker at a football ground for a long time. Ooh. Well, we definitely got to talk to this person. So, again, I'm, going to, I'm putting it out there again for the, for the. There are millions of you listening to this. Some of you must know the name uh, and phone number and Twitter handle of the person who is choosing and playing, and maybe two different people, who is putting together, who is collating, as we now like to say, and curating um, the Spotify playlist. Let me know. Okay, I, I, I mean, there's no point in speculating more about uh, about sporting. We know what they can do. We know the Spurs would really, really, really need to win the game. And they're going to have to find, from the lessened group of players they're currently selecting from, some combination who, who can do that. Which takes us to a thing I've been trailing on Twitter the last week and a half. This podcast is going, you'll be hearing it whenever you hear it. But on Tuesday of this week, a bonus podcast for you, where myself and Jack, uh, James, we're, we're privileged to spend an hour in the company of a player who I can honestly say is one of the most important footballers of the last 30 years, certainly a legend for, uh, for Spurs. 
Um, and if you can become a legend in one and a third seasons, then you must be a very special person indeed. Turns out he was. Turns out he is. Our big interview is with the great Jürgen Klinsmann. Um, we spoke to him for easily an hour and a quarter, and I suspect that Jürgen would have liked it to go on for another two hours. He really is very enthusiastic about Tottenham Hotspur. Here's uh, an example of what you'll be treated to when you download the uh, big interview with Jürgen Klinsmann. Here he is talking about that famous dive to celebrate his first goal for Spurs away at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I had a good friend of mine. He left. Uh, uh, he, he lived in, in in London for a long time. He lived at that time in close to Monaco, and he just said to me, "This is normal. They're gonna they're gonna tease you. They're gonna provoke you. They want to see a reaction. They want to see how how you take things. You know, it's the it's the English humor in a certain way." And so don't be offended by by no means, you know, just uh, uh, make a joke out of it. And that's why I came up at my first press conference with saying that I have my my, my goggles and my my, <laughs> my diving glasses with me in the backpack, which I actually had. I didn't bring them out then. Uh, <laughs> so you, had, then, you uh, had the props with you? I had them with me. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but but uh, obviously, Teddy Sharing had that brilliant idea Then we went the first game at Sheffield Wednesday and we arrived at the stadium and thousands of fans in front of the main stand, you know, brought up the numbers 5.8, 5 5.9, <laughs> 5.9. And the, the players were cracking up on the bus and I didn't guess what is this all about? And uh, and I said, you know what? This is this is really cool. I said, you score today, we're all going to do a dive. Uh, that was Teddy's idea and, and that kind of turned the story around in a certain way. And, and I learned... Uh, Kind of, and I learned a lot about your humor, but also I learned, um, I took the lesson in a way that, you know, don't take yourself too seriously here. You know, don't think that you're coming because you, maybe you won a World Cup or you did this and that, you know, now you're, you, you, you expected to, to have a red carpet or some, some stuff like that, you know, and, and for me, it was really fantastic because, uh, I, I felt like if I give everything I have, even if I don't score, if I have a bad day, but if I fight until the very end of the 90 minutes, then people will accept me. Yeah, so there we are. He actually had goggles in the boot of his car. Um, Jack, I thought it was a, a fabulous hour. I mean, he talked about open and keen to talk about his time in football. Yeah, it's not often you get this kind of situation where you get you know a genuinely great player who is that chatty and honest and thoughtful and he talked about he talked about so much stuff he talked about his um his transfer from monaco in the first place his first his first memories of alan sugar why he thought that ozzy ardiles's tactics didn't work out uh why he had to say goodbye to Tottenham after one season and go and play for Bayern munich uh, he talked about international football. He talked, he about, talked about Harry Kane. He talked about the modern mentality. He talked about the mentality found not just at Bayern Munich, but also at Inter Milan, where bad games were just not tolerated, but not by the managers, by the other footballers you were playing with. There's a whole lot of amazing stuff in there. Yeah, there was an awful lot that was fascinating to me. I felt like I, I learned a huge amount doing it. I really enjoyed talking to him. He's a great talker. He's very funny. He's very, very, very honest and open and doesn't take himself too seriously, even though he's got every right to because he's you know he's won a World Cup and had an incredible playing career. So yeah, it, it was a joy to do and I hope it will be And also, as he to. pointed out, was um, he, he didn't point this out, but he, he is one of the accelerants that will that is leading to the football in the United States um, you know, really, really making progress. Those six years he had as their manager, um, I think they established themselves as a proper international force. Listen, and I hope that, and I also hope that to some of our 
you know, to Spurs fans of a certain generation, obviously Klinsman's a legend. But sure. to Spurs fans of a younger generation or newer Spurs fans, I think it. I hope it will offer a bit of a window into how how kind of a mate, how special it was when he when he showed up in 1994. Back when you know it was just not it was not the done thing for English teams, and you know particularly you know, English teams who were not. It's not like Spurs have been winning the league every year for the last few years or were routinely spending huge amounts of money. And they go and sign one of the most famous and decorated centre-forwards in European football. What what a kind of wow moment that was. Bear in mind, younger listeners, that he was second in the Ballon d'Or in a team that finished mid-table in England. That's how good he was at that time. Um, two other things about it. As you rightly say, Jack, it was the first time that the newly sort of emerging Premier League signed a player that was one of the best 11 in the world. Um, that hasn't happened still very often. They tend to make their way to Spain, don't they? Um, and occasionally to Bayern Munich. Um, and also, he utterly transformed the way we think about foreign football. Is he came here, a despised figure, German diver, all the rest of it. In a year, he had turned that around and people were just desperate to go to the continent and buy these fantastic footballers who, it turned out, were lying around in threes and fours at football clubs that we had very little knowledge of. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful hour and I recommend you that you download it. Um, as I say, it'll be available uh, Tuesday morning um, after, you've di- after you've digested this podcast as well, a podcast for which I want to thank you for listening and Jack and Tim for helping me bring it to you. Um, uh, always at this stage a reminder that if you're not already an Athletic subscriber remember you can sign up to read all the brilliant Spurs stuff um, this season as well as everything else that's on the site and as I, uh, I don't apologise for repeating myself it is an amazing amount of stuff and all the top quality just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months total bargain that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod Again, thank you for listening. The full Klinsman interview will be available on this feed from tomorrow morning. So make sure that is Tuesday morning. So make sure that you uh, you subscribe to us um, and we'll be back again, hopefully with Spurs qualified for the uh, latter stages of the Champions League. God bless you all till Thursday. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.